Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back into the Celtics Lab. I am Cameron Tobitzbai, your host for today, joined as always by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. We have a few plugs and promos to kick things off with. First, the music that you just heard comes from Divine Sweater. Alex plays bass on that funky tune. And they have a new album called Divine Sweater Presents The 10-Year Plan. Second, we are doing our next C-Laboration giveaway. Every month, we partner with creatives in the Celtics community. And for April, we're showcasing the work of the incomparable Ellie Kane. So what you need to do is you need to go ahead and follow at Celtics Lab on Twitter and retweet the pinned tweet to be automatically entered to win a free Jalen Brown t-shirt and a very cool one at that. While you're there, be sure to follow Ellie on Twitter and a big thanks to them for joining us on this. Now, with the brass tacks out of the way, let's welcome in our guest for the week, Mr. John Zanos. John is the director of content over at the CLNS Media Network and the host of the Garden Report postgame show at CLNS. John. Welcome to the Celtics Lab. What's up, guys? How's it going? Happy to have you. Yeah. Alex, Dr. Quinn, how are we doing? Uh, aside from traumatizing my students earlier today, I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> Dr. Quinn, can you beat that? <laughs> uh, things are going well. The construction noises continue to have subsided. Um, pretty happy. All right. Well, speaking of pretty happy, the Celtics... Uh, for the first time in a long time, have given us some things to smile about. So we're going to jump right into the lab portion of the programming and take a walk on the sunny side of the street uh, because there's some positive trends and some cool things going on with the Boston Celtics. And we thought rather than the doom and gloom being the star of the show, as has been the case for, you know, the whole season, uh, maybe we'd celebrate a few things. So Yeah, you brought on the right guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I just, there's definitely some positive things to say. <laughs> For this week, for this week's episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? I, I have found that uh, when you beat the Rockets by 20 or whatever it was, it's easy to feel positive. The Rockets, uh, and, the Rockets and the Hornets, Sans, yeah. you know, Lamelo and, and Gordon Hayward is, is, uh, is good for what ails you. Well, the MO is we're supposed to stay positive and I'm, I'm going to betray. Well, well I'm going to betray that. Poor Gordon Hayward. I mean, I oh my goodness. The poor man. I don't know what he did to bring the wrath of the gods, but man as he um so hair gordon all the best uh what we did was we cooked up uh individually just a few things we thought were worth uh gushing over or celebrating or more importantly we thought might be sustainable so we are in the celtics lab looking at things that we liked in the past week or so what's driving it and what might be sustainable and dr quinn you have first go 
So the Celtics being four and two since the trade deadline, you know, that's definitely something I'm pretty positive about. We're going to talk about some of the reasons why we do and don't think it's sustainable. I don't know how I feel about its sustainability, but I like what I see. Uh, I guess we kind of have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the, the Evan Fournier situation. It all kind of hinges on how long he's gone for, I think, or at least how much they can pass the ball and continue to defend it the way that they have been in recent games. Yeah, so uh, per usual, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, so the dust has settled on Evan Fournier's re-entry to the COVID protocol. Uh, John, what do you think when you get the notification on your phone or however else you found out? Oh, man, that was such a wind out of the sales moment, guys. I got to say, like, you know, because you, you have those two games back to back, right? And fine, it's Charlotte and it's Houston. So be it. Like, it is what it is. But they've played Charlotte's and Houston's before and played them even or lost and or struggled. Even the OKC game, which is in that four and two win streak, <laughs> four and two streak that Justin talked about. That was a G League team, and they were dead even for three quarters. They played 12 good minutes of basketball, stepped on the gas, and shot by them. But even that was kind of like a geez, guys, you know. So you did exactly what you want to do, and you stepped up and you drilled these two teams. And so, yeah, fine. It was Charlotte, and they were shorthanded. But 86 points, defense, uh, you know, defense looked better. They're moving the ball. Uh, second unit offense, Fournier had two terrific games. I think for I think for everybody here, the Fournier, those last two games, was so eye-opening because we joked about this on the Garden Report uh, post-game show. Like, <laughs> a lot of people, they might know a little about Evan Fournier. They've seen him play some. They've seen some stats. But, I mean, go on YouTube and try to find a highlight reel of Evan Fournier. It doesn't <laughs> exist, you know? It's like, because he's not that type of player. He's not a guy who's going to show up on your YouTube highlights, house of highlights, you know, uh, you know sports center, what have you. But you watch him and you're like, wow, this guy does a lot of things really well. And we were starting to call him, you know, Gordon Hayward Light here, which was this yeah. is exactly <laughs> what you needed. Like when we talked, when they made the trade, we were saying, if he can be 80% of Hayward, that's a massive win. Right now, it looks like he's at least that, or it looked like it. And then obviously the news of the protocol here, and you're like, ah, oh, because you really wanted to see it work against a good team. So the, this Philly game, I think a lot of people, Celtics fans, myself, everybody was so geeked up for. And yeah. now it just really takes the wind out of your sails that he's not going to play. And here you go again. Even Jalen said it at the shooter. I like, ah, this is the story of our lives, man. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the, the stat already was the Celtics have lost more games to COVID than any other team. I think the bottom Plus 20, it's, it's more than the bottom 10 uh, teams combined. Plus 20 over the second place. Yeah, sir. It's, it's yeah. truly, I mean, yeah. it's Massachusetts is out of bad shake. Maybe that's related. Um, I just, I, for our listeners, if you are going to look up uh, Evan Fournier highlights, just be careful on how you Google that. Yeah. Uh, Both games, first and last. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Justin, you think that, you know, the Celtics just won six and two. That's one of their better stretches this season. Um, Fournier on the shelf notwithstanding. You're feeling pretty good about that. I don't just think it's one of their better stretches of the season. It seemed like one of the first stretches of the season where there was a, a plan behind what was going on. Mm -hmm. There might have been a plan to what was going on before, but they weren't following it. So for me, the thing that really stood out for me was people seem to know the role. People seem to apply effort all the way through the game almost. And really, it, it was working. 
And to just jump on there, uh, you know, I think it's kind of related to what we just talked about, but I, Fournier is just such a clear stabilizer for this bench unit. Like when he comes into the game, his job and everybody knows what his job is. The defense knows it. The offense knows it. His job is to bring the ball up, create his own shot, run around picks and get open from three and try and add some offensive firepower to a bench that, you know, on this podcast, we have been criticizing, you know, game after game for the complete lack of offensive punch that they've had. And I think that Fournier, uh, you know, Danny Ainge saw an opportunity to buy low for a piece that could kind of assist in exactly that and in adding some bench offense that was woefully needed in taking the ball out of you know, a rookie Peyton Pritchard, a good rookie, but a rookie nonetheless in Peyton Pritchard's hands, um, you know, with Semi Ojale going down. I mean, it's hard to believe, but the Celtics were relying pretty heavily on Semi Ojale to be a significant offensive contributor off the bench, which in and of itself is a little dicey to begin with. But to effectively swap out Semi for a, an actually talented veteran guard in Fournier, a guy who really everywhere he's been, you know, Denver, Orlando, he's been on some some teams that have been decent and on some teams that have been really bad. But throughout that time, Fournier has developed a reputation for being a guy that you have to respect on the offensive end of the court. And I think him falling into place has helped settle this bench into their roles. Now you're not relying on Grant Williams to create his own shot four times a game. Now you're not relying on Peyton Pritchard to be the best shooter on the floor for these bench units. And to to combine that with Robert Williams, now clearly the starting center for this team, I think, uh, you know, it it makes sense, Dr. Quinn, that you're thinking about uh, kind of people's roles and it seems a little bit more defined uh, and it just adds even more uh, kind of challenge to the fact that Fournier is going to be out against a genuinely tough team in Philly that I was really looking forward to the Celtics playing. Yeah, John, what were you going to say? Oh, I uh, just on the Fournier, I just want to double down on what Alex was saying that the, the, it's not just what he does for that second unit. I, I think just what he does for the whole team in terms of what they'd been missing was somebody who move, he moves the ball so well and so quickly and decisively. It really just keeps the, it gets the flow going. They, and especially now when you add Robert Williams and what he does as a passer as well, the overall movement is so much better over these six games. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and, and with Fournier, he's so decisive. And so he has such good instincts and such a high basketball IQ that the overall level of play anytime it seems when there's, all sorts of groupings on the court has really gone up a ton. And we even talked about it. I mentioned Rob Williams. Uh, I ran a poll uh, about what's the best uh, trade deadline development. Is it Evan Fournier's arrival or Rob Williams playing as a starter? And I know that's on your, uh, I know that's on your thing. It was actually uh, Williams won that poll uh, because again, I think so many things are opened up with just a couple of different moves. And you're right, Alex, again, that, the, the difference in level of play from Fournier to semi or whatever is so it's such a <laughs> gulf. Okay. And it's not a knockdown on semi, but when you're counting on semi to be your ninth guy, 10th guy who can come in, play eight, 10 minutes a game, maybe draw a defensive assignment, knock down a corner three. Great. But if you're actually counting on him to produce with the second unit and play 20, 25 minutes a game, he's totally miscast. Uh, and so you don't have to do that anymore. And then people don't have to get mad at semi Ojale anymore. They can appreciate, <laughs> 
appreciate <laughs> what he does well and then just watch Evan Fournier do it better and be happy for that. Yeah. I mean, I think it also gives a little bit of flexibility to the uh, minutes rotation and the Fournier uh, Rob Williams minutes are very spicy. Aren't they? There's there's something really intriguing going on there. And don't let me don't don't let me add Romeo to that just yet, okay? Because I want those Romeo minutes to be spicy too. They're not yet, <laughs> but it's a little tease, little tease. I like that block. It was a <laughs> fundamental block. Uh, all right, so number two on our list. Uh, actually, Dr. Quinn, I'm going to have you give us that history lesson that you just gave us off air because I think it's so fascinating. But uh, Tatum uh, hit five thousand points. Uh, the youngest Celtic to ever do that, 23 years and 32 days. I would have said that they've been playing Boston Celtics basketball since 1946. But uh, this is such an aside, but Dr. Quinn, there's an asterisk on that. So you're going to make me talk about the franchise swap, which Mm -hmm. I talk about anytime anyone gives me a chance to. Um, I have to take care because I'm prone to talk about this when we probably shouldn't. But for those who don't know, uh, the Celtics swapped franchises in 1978 with the Buffalo Braves because Irv Levin wanted to move the Celtics to Los Angeles because he's a Los Angeles guy, the former owner, Irv Levin. And so the franchise that we think of as the Boston Celtics that won all those titles with Bill Russell in the 1960s is currently the Los Angeles Clippers. I thought I knew a thing or two about the Celtics. I had never known that. It's kind of like that episode of The Simpsons where they just move Springfield and never talk about it again. So we're going to run with... They've been playing Celtics basketball since 1946. And Jason Tatum just became the youngest player to hit 5,000 points. Um, I have Alex listed that I get first crack. And what I will say about that is I'm feeling like that is sustainable. Because uh, Jason Tatum, who by all accounts is one of the better players in the league, uh, is averaging just four and a half free throw attempts a game. So not only has he done a buttload of scoring as a 23-year-old excuse me, 23 in 32 days, uh, he could be scoring way easier. Um, so as he figures out how to get to the rim, how to curry the favor of the refs or whatever it is, um, scoring is going to come even more easily to Taco J. So I'm thinking I feel pretty good about that, and I'm thinking I feel like that's something sustainable. Alex? I also feel like that's a relatively sustainable development. If you reflect back to the podcast that we did right before the All-Star break, we were very much in Doomer Celtics mode. But I pointed out that one thing that I was looking forward to for after the All-Star break was that I expected Jason Tatum to pick up his play after a chance to rest his lungs, having recovered from coronavirus. It seems that that has worked so far, knock on wood. Um, But... Tatum has looked a lot better since the All-Star break. He's getting into his rhythm a little more. Uh, I've noticed he's hunting for his shot a little more, which I actually think, despite um, us asking him to step up in a playmaking role at the beginning of this year, and him, to his credit, doing a reasonably good job of that, Jason Tatum is ultimately best as a scoring threat, and he does more for your offense as a threat that you have to double-team than as a shot cre- as a creator and as an initiator. So to see Tatum hunting for his own shot a little more and being more aggressive, trying to you know get favorable matchups in isolation, I think is actually kind of helping the Celtics offense look a little bit more like what it has been in years past. So I'm I'm also with you in the sustainable column here. I think. 
Yeah. Uh, John, what are you thinking about that? And then you have first crack at our next thing we're being positive about. And it's Romeo Langford. Oh, yes, so. yes. Uh, Romeo has been a, a personal crusade of mine, so I can't wait. But the, the Tatum, again, just wanted to double down. It's the thing with him that's so interesting to me is uh, it, the numbers, the, the, the metrics are there to show where he's a most effective scorer. And it's just when he falls out of it, where he runs into those stretches. And I definitely think you give him a pass for that, the post COVID situation there. Uh, he admitted he was struggling with it. And so I don't, that's nothing to mess around with. So I think anything you can throw out February for the most part, I definitely think he started to look more like himself, but just anytime, I mean, when he puts the ball on the floor and dribbles too much, when he dribbles more than three times, his numbers plummet. When he's in isolation, he's one of the worst isolation players for the amount of times that he does it. But he just falls back into those rhythms. I don't know why. It could just be trying so desperately hard to generate offense and to do something for the team because he feels he has to. Or it just might be just old habits sometimes are just hard to break. But he's obviously so good in catch and shoot. He's great in the post. He's good in, when he attacks, when he's quick and decisive, you know, and trying to go to the basket. The the more he does that, and you've seen more of it recently, is where he starts to go in those streaks where he catches fire, and he starts yeah. to look like last year post-All-Star Tatum, where it was like, uh-oh, you know, like, this is a problem. And so it is sustainable because we've seen it before. And it, if he gets to that level again, it takes the Celtics to a completely different level as well. Totally. I mean, it's so smooth. I if Drew right. Hanlon, could, if he could just forget everything Drew Hanlon taught him. Right. When it works, Kobe it's crap. like, oh my God, this is so good. You know, like when it's working, when it's not, you're like, oh man, you know, so it's there. You know that it's there. It's just a matter of harnessing it and, and, and doing the things that he does best more consistently. All right. Well, John, uh, not quite there yet, but Langford just played his 33rd game as a pro. What are you thinking? I mean, look, the Romeo, the Romeo conversation is less about what he's doing for you and what, what he could theoretically do for this team. And again, I, I kind of made the same points earlier in the year with Neesmith, which is give him a shot because what are you losing? It's him or it's him or Semi at this point. You know what you're getting with Semi. So let's develop this guy into something that might be useful later on and not hunt wins early in the season. I didn't like how Brad was doing that, you know, 22 minutes, 21 minutes, 18 minutes, zero minutes for seven games. Okay, and now he's back in again. That's no way to get anybody going. I hope with what I was really encouraged with with Romeo, in, a, in addition to the couple of flashes, obviously he knocks down a three. He has that nice defensive play at the rim. Obviously, he's a good defender, so he can come in and play minutes now, and Brad's not going to be afraid. And I think that's the key because – you saw his first game back off of the post-COVID conditioning. He still wasn't right. Admittedly, he pulled himself out of the previous game. So he probably played it way less than 100%. And Brad still committed to two stints that he was going to play him. And he did. Seven minutes each time. Uh, six and seven minutes. He got about 12 or 13, which means – his intention is to use Romeo, which I think is great. And again, I don't know that it's just because Semi was out. Now that Semi is back, again, you're not really fully going to see it because it's Fournier is out and Semi is back in. But I was curious, would Semi start to take Romeo's minutes? Did he just play because he was out? Or is the plan to get him involved? Because I do think at his best, he's going to take you to a higher level. It's gonna, you're going to have a higher ceiling with him on the floor than you would with the replacement level players you'd be playing instead of him. Yeah. yeah. And to jump on that, you know, I think uh, one thing that stood out to me is not just that he played two stints, but that Brad subbed him in relatively early yep. in the game uh, at a point when uh, the game still very much could have gone either way. Like it, it had not become the blowout that it would end up being by the point that Brad subbed Romeo in. So I think that 
that to me is an indication that Brad is hoping that Romeo will be a significant part of their second unit going forward. If you're playing him in rotation, having him and Fournier come in at the same time, that suggests to me that Brad believes that those two guys on the floor complement each other well and suggests that once Romeo's conditioning has improved a little bit, he is going to be a much more substantial part of that bench unit. It's COVID. We got to give him a, a long, long leash. And that might extend to next year, but the early returns are certainly fun. Speaking of a, a wonky COVID season, we are finally seeing consistent play from Kemba Walker, um, from newly minted starter Robert Williams, and from a defense that has been severely lacking. I would hazard that all three of those have been trending up. Alex, I'll give you first crack dealer's choice. Kemba, Robert Williams, defense. They're playing better. What does that mean to you? Or are they not? If you're giving me dealer's choice, I am going to pick the Robert Williams option just about every time. Who's because not, right? Rob, yeah, Rob's, Rob's the coolest player on this team. Great it's new crazy. nickname, by the way, too. Yeah. The Dime Lord, I love that. <laughs> I, I am a fan. And I think it reflects his play lately yeah. and a lot of what he's added to this lineup. So Robert Williams is known primarily as a hyper-athletic shot blocker who can jump to the moon and back, dunk all over people, get tons of blocks, contest shots, rebound, et cetera, et cetera. People really have not, I think, given enough credit to the fact that Robert Williams is an advanced passer for somebody who has played the amount of minutes that he has. And the Celtics offense looks much better as a result. Rob, I, 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 this is, all right, this is me firing off a big take, but <laughs> I'm going to go with it. I think Robert Williams might actually be the best passer in the starting unit right now. Yes. Uh, and I, I think that, agree. yeah. And, and I think that the Celtics kind of know it and play through it. I think if you look at kind of what they have been doing, they're trying to get a lot of action where they have Rob in kind of quick rolls to the rim, but instead of Rob elevating and trying to dunk on somebody, that role is usually being designed to draw attention and suck the defense in. Because now on the defensive end, you're saying, oh shit, Robert Williams is coming at me at 30 miles an hour. I need to get in and contest this. And that opens up the kick out pass to the corner for Jalen Brown or the extra hockey assist over to Fournier at the top of the arc. Like the Stevens offense is working really well right now more so than it has been this year in part because rob is an active and willing passer which i just love for this team yeah well can i ask you guys a question because this is something that's this is something uh you know that we've wrestled with a lot on our show um and 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 again a big crusade of mine was uh, it made no sense to me how why rob was kept in shackles you know all, all all season long with the 14 15 and i know brad mentioned hip but honestly i i knew that was a little revisionist that was i could cover the i could cover myself by saying the hip is the reason he wasn't playing but i think brad, brad was maybe a little slow to recognize all that the offense can be and all that the team can be with Rob in there, maybe because he was used to what he was used to. It took a really long, that was a really slow adjustment to get Rob in not just more minutes, but in with the starters. And I do think you're seeing the dividends pay off right away, but I agree with you hundred percent on the passing uh, there is, I think that might be his greatest asset, which is something that you, you know, that nobody, that nobody could have theoretically seen, but uh, do you guys think maybe they could have made this move earlier? I mean, it seems like it was one made out of necessity when Tice was, but I've been lobbying for this, not just, first of all, it was always 
Tristan's minutes should have been the third most minutes of the bigs. Yeah. I, that was easy to determine early in the year. I, I, the double big lineup was obviously an abomination, but the Rob minutes, again, I almost feel he was wasted at times with that second unit because it was like, give him roles with the starter. So again, it seems like some of you guys are nodding and yes, but I mean, that, I think we could have got, I think, I think we could have gotten here earlier with Rob and we might not have had as many down moments and negative gloom and doom podcasts up until this point if, 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 we, if, we had, if we'd figured it out. I mean, there's there's been some observations about the Celtics. They have one of the, the, the tightest point differentials and losses. And just thinking, I mean, we've all been advocating for this for a while now yep. here as well. Yep. If you if you had had him in bigger minutes in those games, it very well could have been a lot. Just you know, four or five more wins, and four or five more wins in this season could completely change You're the, the fortune. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've just also had some some terrible luck in the clutch. Uh, that again, if they're three games above five hundred, maybe the the temperature in the room's a little different. Um, and certainly, his conditioning and his his bout with COVID or, or possible bout with COVID uh, might have been a, a hankering. Um, Doctor Quinn, I'll let you choose. Do you want to gush about Kemba, and I'll talk about the defense? Or you want to talk about the defense, and I'll talk about Kemba. We'll talk about Kemba uh, since I am a big UConn head and it is just after the 10th anniversary of that fabled run. I think that the ado about Kemba's knee has been a bit much from the get-go. I do think that people are questioning now whether it might be okay to let him play two games in a row. I think this weekend might be this weekend. This set of games that we're dealing with ahead of the Philadelphia game and the New York Knicks game would be a great opportunity just to see how he feels. You know, maybe not big minutes in the second one, but let him play 15 or 20 minutes in the, in the second game. I think that Kemba actually can contribute a lot more than he has depending on how he's used. So I'm pretty positive about Kemba. I think that we are not seeing anything fluky. I think that we haven't heard anything at all. I mean, maybe it's going on, but we haven't heard anything about any you know, discomfort or problems. And we haven't been seeing it. I mean, his shooting isn't always so great, but that's kind of always been Kemba. I have no comment regarding media members with potentially reactionary takes about Kemba Walker. Well, uh, speaking of reactions, I went to Pitt, so I'm happy you talked about Kemba. Uh, I'll, I'll just quickly shine a light on the defense. Um, don't look now, but over the past 10 games, the Celtics have a top 10 defensive rating, which has been a hallmark of the Brad Stevens era. He can take really any player that Danny Ainge throws at him, Brad Stevens can, and seemingly make a coherent defense out of it. And this was the first season where that trend was severely bucked. Maybe with a little bit of consistency with the roster, with the rotation, uh, that holds Maybe playing the Rockets does wonders for your defensive numbers. So I don't really know if I think it's sustainable. I think uh, even now uh, the Celtics are a little undersized. So I don't know that they're ever going to be a juggernaut on defense compared to some of the other teams in the league. Um, before this, we were talking about the Nuggets. Just They look like monsters. There's just so much length. It's kind of like the Raptors and the Thunder before them. And the Celtics just don't have that personnel. Um, but I am feeling good about the defense, I think, we keep recording on Tuesdays, which is silly because Celtics play on Tuesdays. But by the time you uh, humble listeners listen to this, you'll know what happened with the Sixers and you'll know if the defense could cut the mustard or not. Um, I'll hedge and say, I think that it won't. Uh, we have a few more things we're feeling positive about before, uh, John, we let you go. So I'll let you have first crack. Oh, While the defense cool. is looking good, I think that the ball movement is also looking pretty good. Um, what are you seeing on that offense? Do you think it, it is improved and is it sustainable? That's the thing. I would have said yes, yes, yes with the Fournier thing. And I do think, again, it's such a big 
um, you know, wrinkle here. Like it just, it, it, it was, and now I don't know, you know, because you, you, you're just taking that step back uh, and it really, really hurts you. But I, I, I do think even without Fournier, I think there appeared to be some buy-in. I know Brad has probably gone in there and said, guys, for the love of like, when we move the ball, <laughs> the offense works. When we don't, it doesn't. And I feel like the last time it did click a little bit where you saw, I mean, that first game where you it was a couple games ago when the opening sequence is uh, the, the, the pass to Williams or the, 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 the pass to, it was Tatum to Smart or Smart to Tatum to Williams mm-hmm. for the dunk right away. And you're like, okay, here we go. And then you see them, they're whipping it around, even Tatum, one dribble, two dribbles, go. Pass it, move it. So something clicked. It wasn't just Fournier working with that second unit. I do think there's buy-in. They just have to resist the urge to fall back into those old patterns. And yes, I do think it is sustainable. It is definitely affected because it's harder to sustain for 48 in a game if Fournier is going to be out for an extended period. But yeah, I'm still actually a little bit bullish on this. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they do tonight without Fournier because... One of the things about this team is that Jalen and Jason have emerged as such high-level uh, isolation scorers that um, it almost it, it makes a lot of sense why at times that ball movement stops a lot. Because if you're Jalen Brown and you're trying to you know run a good play, get a high percentage look in you know uh, in in the flow of the offense in a close game and you're looking at how the floor is spread, you've got an isolation matchup that you've been doing reasonably well with in most of the year. And then in the corner, you've got Semi Ojale, Grant Williams, uh, you know, Robert Williams, who is a great dunker, but not much of a shooter, uh, and Peyton Pritchard out there. This is the stochastic effect of Fournier being out, is you get less dudes on the team, on the floor at any given moment, who the stars Jalen, Jason, and Kemba trust to make shots when they yeah. kick the ball out to them. And when you lose that trust, that is when the ball starts to stick. And that's when you have Jason Tatum taking 16 isolation possessions to try it's, and win the game. It's the story of every Aaron Neesmith minute ever played. You know, <laughs> the poor guy standing there like, does anyone want to give me the ball? And Jalen doesn't even look at him, you know? It's like, nah, I'm just going to dribble a bunch here. And so you're right, that trust is a big deal. I would even say that the bench buys into the system more. I love the ball movement that we've seen from the bench. There's a little bit of your turn, my turn going on with the starters, but yep. uh, and could, think, be, could it be a hot potato? Yeah. Well, that's a Kemba thing too. Going back to what we were talking about with him trending up. I do think again, it's, I, it's had that difficult time trying to figure out, you know, when am I supposed to right. get my shots? You know, I think Kemba is trying very hard to be deferential and wait for his moments um, in there. But you're right, it does have a lot of your ball, my ball. You know, it's kind of like, okay, Jason and Jason, Jalen aren't, aren't doing so hot. Maybe I'll, you know, try to jack a few. Uh, but I do think, uh, you know, that, that, that my ball, your ball offense with the first unit is – that's always the fear that they could revert back to that. Yeah. Uh, just quickly, uh, John, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, yeah. It looks like the Celtics are able to string together a few win streaks, maybe. Uh, big, big game tonight <laughs> against Philly. We've mentioned that. Uh, but they're riding a two-game win streak. How are you feeling uh, about how this regular season concludes? I mean, the, the schedule is a tad more favorable. Um, and so, you know, it, it's not going to take much to get in there, right? 
to, mm-hmm. to get into the playoffs. So I think, again, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to figure out. You don't know what's going to happen here with this team, what, what she was going to drop next. Again, the Fournier thing, <laughs> I think, is such a shakeup that, you know, it's just really hard to feel confident about anything. But, you know, I, I really wanted to say I felt the team was turning a corner and I was feeling good about how they were going to finish here. I think I'm going to have to kind of be undecided on this one right now, if, I, if, if that's an option. I think I, 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 they, haven't, they haven't shown me enough over a, a, a length of time, you know, a length of time to feel confident about anything that's going to happen. And, you know, each, each day could be different than the last. So maybe a week from now, if we were having the same conversation and they, and they were still maintaining the same level of effort they've had over the last couple of games, maybe yes. But at this point, I'm going to say, uh, you know, it's, it's inconclusive. I think I'm inclined to agree. John <laughs> Zanis is the director of content over at the CLNS Media Network and the host of the Garden Report postgame show at CLNS. John. Thank you so much for coming on Celtics Lab. Where can yeah, the no, people find you? No problem. I just want to let you guys know, uh, anybody who's listening here, you're obviously Celtics fans. After every game, uh, we do a live post-game show over at CLNS Media on all of our streaming platforms. If you um, subscribe to our YouTube channels or follow us on Twitter, um, you uh, can get notified when we do go live and then join us, join the conversation. Uh, we have a good group in there. It's fun for some people. It's like a therapy session. Actually, that's what it's been for most of the year. Um, just a chance to kind of vent a little bit and also to get really excited if and when there's, you know, positive things going on in the last two games. It's been kind of, you know, everyone's been up a little bit and I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid for what's going to happen after this Sixers game. But it's a fun time. It's an awesome group. We have uh, uh, Sherrod Blakely, uh, formerly of NBC Sports, who I worked with uh, for 10 years at NBC uh, when I was over there, uh, along with Jimmy Toscano, who was also, uh, you know, he's, he's written, he's covered the Celtics for years. He was with us at NBC um, for, for, for several years there as well. Josue Pavone, uh, WEI.com, currently Heavy.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then Bobby Manning, who writes for Celtics blog, uh, CLNS, some contributes a little for Boston Sports Journal. Uh, and, you know, it's a great mix. You have, like you said, Bobby, kind of the analytical, you know, film guy. Sherrod is the real NBA insider, knows a lot of people. Uh, a lot of us are from this area. You know, we've been watching the Celtics our whole lives. So it's not just something we've done professionally for years, but it's a passion. So it's a lot of fun. So if you want to kind of hang out with us, please come, uh, come join the stream. Hang out with us live after the games. It's a ton of fun. All right. Well, John, the pleasure is all ours. Uh, We'll catch you over at the Garden Report and come on back anytime. I would love to, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. Take it easy. All right. Thanks again, John, for coming on. Uh, Go ahead and check him out at CLNS Media and the Garden Report. Alex, Dr. Quinn, we have a few things that we can talk about, although we did cover a lot of stuff just now. Uh, Most notably, uh, the NCAA men's tournament just wrapped. And since we last talked, Jalen Suggs wrote his name in uh, the pages of basketball lore. I'm sure you saw the shot that really this, the whole sequence was out of control. Any thoughts on that? What's crazy about that shot is that it wasn't even Suggs' best play of that game. Uh, he had earlier in the game had a chance when UCLA looked like they could potentially pull away. Suggs made a critical left-handed chase down block that he immediately transitioned into a full court bounce pass to Drew Timmy. I've n- I have not seen something like that in quite a while in any level of basketball. So that was a hell of a play and a hell of a game from Gonzaga. And they really left everything out on the court mm-hmm. in that Final Four game. And you saw that in last night's championship game. Baylor was pressing them high. 
they attacked the ball on basically every possession. They were just dominating them on the defensive end. And on offense, it seemed like they couldn't miss. Um, the, you know, the kind of lead guard for Baylor, Davian Mitchell, is a guy that I have been eyeing as a potentially kind of sneaky draft get that the Celtics could be going after with, I don't know, the 15th, the 19th pick, wherever they wind up. But if he if he's going to be the guy that played like that last night, then he might be going a little bit earlier. So props to the Baylor Bears for winning that game in utterly dominating fashion. Extremely enjoyable March Madness, despite uh, the kind of general pall of COVID hanging over everything. Um, Gonzaga's epic run, Jalen Suggs, the miracle game winner, and then the domination at the hands of the Bears was, it was wild to watch. Uh, I think my opinion is they should pay the players. Uh, (laughs) Always the right opinion. Speaking of uh, young men playing basketball, uh, our friends over at ESPN recently dropped uh, their annual 25 under 25 list. Uh, This is where they ranked by potential and that seems to be the operative word, uh, break down who they think are the 25 hottest or players with the most potential. I think they were limited to the the NBA and the Hoop Collective. They said maybe Suggs would have snuck in there. Um, and notably for folks in the hub, Jason Tatum was listed at number five, and Jalen Brown was listed at number 12, and that earned the scorn of... Everyone. Uh, so, Dr. Quinn, Alex, what do you think of these rankings? Something or nothing? Well, I don't really have a problem with the rankings of, of 5 and 12, respectively. It's more so Bobby Marks putting uh, Jason Tatum at something like 12 or 13th. You could, you could also gripe a bit about, you know, uh, LaMelo Ball being ranked, uh, I think, third or fourth. I think it was third. Anyway, above Jason Tatum at any rate. The, really, the, just the, the, the strangest thing, and the dog in the background clearly agrees, um, that what are we doing putting Jason Tatum so low? I mean, he put, he put Jalen Brown above Jason Tatum, and I think that maybe you could make the argument this season, but Marx's argument was about potential, and that's why he had them ranked where he had them. I just, I love Jalen Brown. He's my favorite player in the league right now, but I don't see it. I know Alex has some strong feelings about this as well. Well, I think Bobby is maybe, you know, we should, we should give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. After all, he is awfully sore from getting fleeced by Danny Ainge in 2013 for the draft picks that did become Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So I'm sure we can cut him a little bit of slack for being upset about that. No, I, I, think, it's, I think it's silly. And I think that, you know, ESPN will periodically release these kind of rankings and uh, a lot of it is stirring the pot and just kind of trying to get hate clicks and Celtics fan base is really good for hate clicks. We have been developing that skill for many, many, many years. So anytime that you disrespect Jason Tatum in a national media outlet like that, uh, you are going to earn the ire of Celtics fans and their clicks everywhere, which I think is exactly what ESPN and Bobby Marks was going for here. Yeah, I respect the, I'm sure the analytics are robust and they, they have their, their data. I mean, the, the conversation they had on the Hoop Collective this week about LaMelo, who was number three on their list, was about at this age, um, this number of games played, this is how it tracks. 
Um, and I don't mean to go all Charles Barkley and say, well, I watched the game, but I've seen Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play in conference finals, and that potential looks a lot more real than uh, 30 games of LaMelo Ball. Uh, just for context, for somehow if someone hasn't seen this yet, it goes Luca, Zion, LaMelo Ball, Donovan Mitchell, which uh, all the, I didn't think I was offended by this, but Donovan Mitchell over Jason Tatum doesn't, it's a doesn't make sense to me. Jason Tatum, number five, De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, uh, Devin Booker, Bam Adebayo, Shea Gilders-Alexander, Brandon Ingram, and then Jalen Brown, just ahead of Jamal Murray. I don't really think it's a list that matters. Um, it's an interesting thing to talk about, and I suppose it's fair enough that Luca and Zion are one and two, but I would take the dudes who have been to conference finals. Uh, yeah, or even like Bam Adebayo, who's been to an actual finals. I mean, you know, I, I don't understand why Bam Adebayo, for example, is so low when he, in my mind, is the center with the highest potential under 25 of any of these dudes. I love Zion Williamson and think he's going to be a great player, but it's hard to argue that Bam Adebayo hasn't shown more potential in their young careers. Like Bam has been to the NBA finals, arguably as the best or second best player on a championship level team. He was incredible for all of last year's playoffs and he's just getting better every year. So I think Bam being at nine or wherever he was placed nine. is enough to invalidate this list entirely for me. The Bam on a bio block from game one of the Eastern Conference Finals uh, lives rent-free in my head. That might be my favorite basketball play of the, the decade. I just, I think I tweeted it in the moment. If I tried to do that, my arm would just snap in half. Like his arm, he almost honey dips on the block. It, it's just preposterous. And Alex, to your point, if Jalen and Jason are 12 and 5 on this list, well, Bam took their lunch money in the Easter Conference Finals. So what does that tell you? Um, it certainly drove a bunch of clicks, as did uh, some silly comments about uh, Danny Ainge. You're going to bring that up, huh? I think it's just the dog days of the regular season. There's still a lot of basketball to be played. And so... Uh, I mean, I gave Danny Ainge shit for those for those not made trades, but I, I I made them contextually addressing the things that were, you know, actually possible. Yeah. Uh, I have been a blog boy for the Celtics uh, since, I guess, 2014. And in that time, pretty much any player has been linked to the Cs, whether it was Blake Griffin from the Clippers or LaMarcus Aldridge was at the airport or what have you. But as we discussed off air, that is the nature of having way too many draft picks. And so uh, whether it's the Thunder or the Rockets or the Pelicans, those general managers are on the clock for the 2020s. And any time a player of any real intrigue is up for grabs, it will be incumbent on them to trade for that player or feel the scorn of the folks at the ringer, which I'm being facetious. The, the ringer has some really cool people. Uh, also, maybe you should let them unionize, but <laughs> maybe Justin edits that. I don't know. Uh, gentlemen, uh, the Celtics between now and the next time we talk uh, have a few games. We have <laughs> many times mentioned the fact that they will play Philadelphia in about 20 minutes. Um, then they'll play the Knicks, the Timberwolves, but then a very interesting game against the Denver Nuggets on Sunday afternoon of this week, which I, for one, am really looking forward to. 
I have a distinct memory of the Celtics uh, playing like dog do on Sundays, but they are six and five on Sundays and riding a four game Sunday win streak. So Nikola Jokic, look out. Um, Cause that's going to be a problem for you. Um, that is at Denver and kicks off a little bit of a, actually a very tough swing for the Celtics. They go Denver, Portland, uh, Los Angeles Lakers and Golden State before uh, playing Chicago. Oh, and then Phoenix and the Nets. Goodness gracious, that's going to be... The Lakers are the easy game. (laughs) Wow, I'm glad I looked at the schedule. I might have to dig out my worried hat. Going to be a hell of a test for Robert Williams over these next couple of games to go Embiid and then Jokic later in the week. That's going to really put put some hair on the chest, so to speak. And if you don't have hair on your chest, that's okay. We're, we're not here to judge. Uh, let's replug the things we plugged at the top because we're here to push t-shirts and album downloads. Uh, Alex plays bass for a funky band. They're called Divine Sweater. They have a new album out called Divine Sweater Presents, the 10-year plan. We are collaborating with Celtics uh, Creatives in our C-Laboration giveaway. And this month we are working with uh, our friend Ellie Kane, and they have some very cool t-shirts, specifically a Jalen Brown t-shirt that could be yours if you go find Celtics Lab on Twitter and retweet the pinned tweet and also follow that handle. Justin Quinn is pumping out just a crazy amount of content over at Celtics Wire. Uh, I write for Off the Bus Basketball, as does Alex, and occasionally I grace Celtics Hub with my presence. We will catch you all next week.